0: It's May 28, 2020. This is Rook. Sibling songsters if you're someone of Iranian descent somewhere in the world. It's a good bet that at some point you've heard the innovative sounds and social commentary of objis two sisters in their band originally from iran and then all over the globe today melody in new york sephora in stockholm sweden join me together for a very rook chat but first an acclaimed environmental scientist who despite still being in his 30s has already gone from being a deputy vice president in iran to returning to the diaspora and a position at yale kaveh madani joins me for a feature chat this is stories from to and about the iranian diaspora i'm Gian gomeshi this is rook Welcome to episode number thirteen of Rook. Hope you're all doing okay out there. Hope you're all Mizun. We um, we have a really big show for you today. Our biggest. This is our biggest in terms of length uh, so far, in fact. Uh, and I have. I'm surrounded. I have uh, Rook team members all around here in socially distanced, distanced fashion. Of course, behind behind the glass, Groovy Shia. Hello. Hello, Gruby. Uh, yes. Thank I you. think you're lying yeah. because yeah. You, <laughs> you, 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 from across the glass, I can see it was a long, uh, potentially rough night.
1: Oh, yes. Actually, I, I have a headache, kind of headache, but I'm fine. You're okay. Yeah, I'm I'm glad fine. you're okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, Captain Reza oh, is here. Is Oh, is that my new title? <laughs> that's your new title. Oh, I was waiting. <laughs> what a hell of an improvement. I was from. waiting until we're, <laughs> <laughs> what's an improvement from? Uh, let's not get into it. Right. <laughs> Captain Reza, Captain Reza is here. How are you, sir? Hey, Very well. <laughs> oh, thanks, Shia. Thanks, Gian. And in studio, albeit on the other side of the studio, uh, is Keon. Hi, Keon.
2: Hi, Gion. Did you notice our names rhyme?
0: I did actually. It had occurred to <laughs> me that Gion and Keon rhyme.
2: Did you plan that?
0: Um, Well, I couldn't plan what your name is. That's already (laughs) your name. Did you
2: talk to my mom before
1: this? (laughs)
0: Um, So you've been coordinating with Sarah on social media, and you have the letters for today. You're going to be doing letters of, of the week in about an hour from now, yes?
2: Yes, and I can't wait to read some of them pretty funny stuff i must say <laughs> mostly making fun of you but i'll skip those Thank i'll make you. you look good no
0: you can read those that's okay um, you're also here because you're you're an ogs fan right
2: i am actually i think they're uh, they're doing something different i mean i always try to listen for new music especially from the iranian diaspora so um, I like that they're sisters too. That's that's interesting. Yeah. I, I can't imagine ever getting into a band with my brothers, so that's different. right.
0: Do you say dia- diaspora? What did you just say? How do you say it? I, always I think say it, diaspora. I think it's diaspora.
2: I always say things the way they spell. So, di- mm. the they spell, so di- you're right, diaspora. I mean, mm. I can't argue that.
0: Sounds like Thank you're you perfect for, for this me. position. To read <laughs> you know, the I,
2: it's not too late to fire me. <laughs>
0: uh, I I am very happy to have both uh, melody. And Sephora from Abji's coming up in about an hour from now. Um, Melody in New York, Sephora in Stockholm, kind of around the world. Really nice to have you here, Keon. Thank we'll get you. to you in about an hour. Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, uh, we're all here. Um, let's get to our first guest though, because um, uh, I've been looking forward to this interview as well. You know, for the majority of Iranian expats who have reached academic heights in the west after the 1979 revolution, migration has been a one-way ticket. Even for academics who have stayed clear of Iran's contentious politics, the notion of returning to the old country is daunting for many obvious reasons. But you might say my first guest today was, albeit briefly, the most prominent exception to this rule. In September 2017, Kaveh Madani, a faculty member at Imperial College London and an alumni of Lund University in Sweden and then the University of California, returned to Iran to serve as his country's deputy vice president for the environment. What transpired in 12 perilous months that followed is the stuff of suspense movies. Fortunately for us, he got out, And he lives to tell the tale. He was born in Iran and first left for his studies at the age of 22 and went on to become an acclaimed expert on environment and water supply. Last month, Kaveh was selected by the American Geophysical Union to receive the Hydrologic Sciences Early Career Award. Kaveh is a writer, a professor, and now a senior fellow at the Department of Political Science at Yale University. Kaveh Madani from Yale joins me today. Hello, sir. Hi, Gian. Thanks for having me on your show. It's uh, it's nice to talk to you again, and, and I hope you've been keeping safe during COVID.
3: <laughs> I'm trying. Um, so we, I think we are having a much better condition than many other people on this planet, so I'm thankful.
0: I'm glad you're okay. I I would be remiss on a program aimed at identity and the Iranian diaspora if I do not get into your harrowing recent episode of becoming a high-level member of the Iranian government and then needing to quit and return to the United States. But let's start with the environment because there's a, a lot of conflicting information, it feels like, about the environment in the era of COVID. And there are some that claim that this pandemic is a great thing in terms of amplifying somehow our appreciation for the natural world and uh, curbing urban pollution and destruction. This is due to lockdowns and quarantines. You wrote a piece in Medium in March called Can COVID-19 Create a Turning Point in the Fight Against Climate Change? So what do you think? Is COVID some sort of blessing dressed up as the apocalypse?
3: I don't think it's a blessing, but like any other extreme event and, and crisis. Uh, it, it, it can create opportunities. But uh, the, the question to ask here is that if, if the changes that we are seeing today are going to be permanent or not, yes, greenhouse gas emissions have dropped. We're using less oil. We are now flying. We are doing a lot of things online. We're not using our cars as often as before in many, many, many countries, even though the price of gasoline has dropped so much. Uh, but, but are these things going to be permanent? I, I'm afraid not, unless we take necessary action. So we have to enable the future and do things which are good for the planet. Otherwise, experience shows us that once the economy of nations, uh, gets worse is, is if, if people get unemployed, if, if, If um, factories fail, if if businesses go bankrupt, then they have a big crisis and and they want to avoid that. And when they want to avoid that, then they loosen the environmental restrictions. Right now, Mm -hmm. we are seeing things happening, you know, with the U.S. EPA and Donald Trump. So we would see the same thing in in some other countries and countries try to catch up and and then, um, you know, uh, kind of, compensate for the period of inactivity, for the period of low production, okay. and, and then take advantage of um, lower oil prices and so on. So we might see a big boost actually in in the envirom- our environmental footprint once um, this crisis is over and we again uh, you know, fight for um, make it putting more money into our pockets.
0: Let me turn it around and, and come at it from a different angle. And, and that is, and let me think about how to say this, should we blame the way we treat or we have treated the environment for COVID? In other words, as an environmentalist or an environmental scientist, do you see any correlation between human-created environmental calamities or situations and these recent pandemics, such as bird flu, such as SARS, and now, of course, COVID nineteen?
3: If we wanted, like you know, talk about easy correlations, yes, this virus has jumped into. Our environment has come to, uh, jumped on humans because we got too close to the animals, right? We started eating them, and, and even in, in in the last two decades, we have had a number of pandemics. You know, having this same. Kind of roots one from camels and you know then another from bats and and the same thing but um, these pandemics and viruses and, and diseases have been with us for a long long time this is again another opportunity for us to think about our diet to think about what we are doing to the planet but you know it's not as unique as many people say but would it make us think about what we are doing yes does it result in a shift in behavior I'm afraid not on its own without, without developing new institutions. I don't think that's going to change our behavior. Once this incident is over, you would have your steak and, and enjoy what, you know, your food, you would do things as before. And you might even care less about some of the warnings that we environmentalists, um, talk about because you remember the point in time in in modern times that all of us were so close to death and we had lost hope so if you know that another incident like this is likely in your lifetime you might tell me shut up you know don't tell me about the future of this planet Uh, you know I want to enjoy the rest of my life who Mm -hmm. knows what's Mm going to happen to me in, 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 in a few years and you all you scientists did not project something of this magnitude, something this deadly in your worst projections of the future. And right. you, none of you saw this coming. So how, how can I trust you?
0: You wrote another piece, Kaveh, recently, talking about how, uh, related to COVID, and talking about how the world needs to come together to combat this pandemic. And you ended it quite beautifully. In the end of the editorial, you quote the 13th century Persian poet, Sadi, with this passage. Human beings are members of a whole in creation of one essence and soul. If one member is afflicted with pain, other members uneasy will remain. If you have no sympathy for human pain, the name of human you cannot retain. What does that passage mean to you?
3: That's the optimality that I'm after. And as as someone who has dedicated his career to the environment, I have the obligation and the mission of reminding people um, about the the importance of working together and addressing problems together about reminding people about uh, of our interconnectedness our um, the interconnectedness of our society the fact that uh, water drops or carbon emission, you know, don't recognize our political boundaries. The fact that we, we have to address the problems together, no matter where in, in Iran we are, or no matter where in the world we are, we have problems that we share. So that's my mission. That's, that's when it comes to education, outreach, telling people, creating ambitious target, encouraging people to make a move. So, so at the same time, thinking about how to materialize or uh, you know put put the word the sadi into action is something I'm doing as a scientist And even even in, in my political job I was trying to do uh, things uh, along that line
0: you know I don't want to get too far off track but I remember in a previous conversation you and I had you you talked about the um, the racial or the ethnic or the national lines uh, of of interest around um, environmental concerns that they're all o- they're not necessarily always universal uh, but when I think about something like um, climate change i mean isn't that isn't the whole point of climate change isn't that global isn't the ozone layer over top of tehran and toronto and tbilisi uh, uh, doesn't that define universal
3: sure it, it is and and you know lots of other things are universal but if we just single out one problem and and then expect the nations to trust us and and come fight for that, that specific cause, I don't think we, we get anywhere. We have to also respect the conditions of different people. Uh, i give you an example. When I was in an office in Iran as the deputy head of Iran's Department of Environment, so we have lots of meetings about the problems we have in the country. I'm an environmental scientist. Some of my other colleagues are also like university professors, so they understand the problems. Now it comes to the action time. What do you do about this political factory or this petrochemical or this industrial form this city and that every time you want to make a decision you're thinking about how many people would get unemployed how many you know how your production would be affected so then you you know then you have a trade-off between unemployment hunger then addressing greenhouse gas emissions and then you think that what if i do it and others don't do it and you know reducing greenhouse gas emissions it's about the future impact and can i make a sacrifice for the future and and make people unemployed today and have them starve for the sake of the future. And and then, uh, is this climate justice that we are after? The other thing is, is, you know, people in the developing world always think that, okay, we didn't create this problem. If you look at the the cumulative hmm. emissions of, right. for example, the United States, UK, and, and some other countries in the West, they are the ones who created climate change, right? It's a global problem, yes, but the ones who created the problem also benefited from it. Their societies are advanced, they're in a better condition. Even when it comes to the point of climate change and its impacts, their societies are more resilient. But now they are telling us to stop selling oil, to, to stop doing this, to, to, to reduce our emissions, to stop our development and, and adopt renewables and so on. So then it's a point where you say, listen, I have so many other problems and so, so many other priorities. How about my food? How about my water? How, how about my jobs? I, I'm not saying that I'm not going to address climate change. I believe in it and I know that my nation is a victim. But if you want my, my help, also like help me. So give me a hand. Pay me, you know, bear the cost, take responsibility for what you have done. And Why is that important? Because the problems we have in Iran, the problems we have in India, the problems we have in Afghanistan, China, in, in, in many parts of Africa and South America are very different from the problems That's you have in the U.S. or So or oftentimes what we,
0: what we think are the most dire, dire environmental issues are we're socialized to believe that because of where we live in the world or uh, where our concern might lie.
3: Yeah. You know, when is the last time, when is the last time you in Toronto have been concerned about um, air pollution and put a mask on, walking outside thinking that, you know, I might get cancer. Maybe, you know, if I well, well, have asthma, I, uh, I might die. Well, that
0: one, we do talk about air pollution in Toronto, but, I, but I, we don't talk that much about worrying about where we're going to get our water. And and so that's or, that's or, one or, that I can I can yeah, absolutely so not relate to.
3: Do you do you put masks on in for, no, for air no, pollution in no. Toronto? Do, are you worried about dust storms in Toronto? No. Are you worried no. about you know major deforestation in Toronto? But you know, but even when it comes to, for example, the gas pipe, pipeline, you see that the Canadians, modern, developed, in good economic conditions, they're still doing the things that we environmentalists are telling the rest of you know the rest of the world you know about avoiding you right. know, avoid fossil fuels and a lot of people this, have so problems that
0: with that in Canada uh, there's, a, there's I mean yeah. certainly environmentalists do um, yeah yeah you know it, it
3: is true but I' I'm, I'm, I'm saying that when it comes to action then the policymakers of the modern world also implement things if the American society again um, when it comes to average Economic condition, GDP, and everything—they're doing much better than the rest of the world. How, how, how concerned are the, you know, average American citizens about the environment when they vote for for the next president of the United States? Where's climate change? How, how much climate change is is a driving factor in in votes? So when you don't see environmental factors playing such a huge role in the West where you live, don't expect. The environmental conditions to be the most important, significant factor for those who are
0: li- living elsewhere. What would the reaction be, in in? Uh, I mean, amongst people in the know, uh, let alone uh, the population as well, in India or in Afghanistan, you cited, or, or in Iran, I suppose, um, to, uh, I was going to say Greta Thunberg, but we don't want to, uh, um, I mean, she's a teenager. I, I don't necessarily want to take uh, aim at her, but um, Michael Moore or Al Gore uh, <laughs> uh, or the, the, the climate change movement, which... Which declares itself or or wants to declare itself as an international movement and an international concern. What is the reaction to that in in places in the world, in other places in the world that might might have um, different priorities that you've just outlined?
3: Climate change is one of the many byproducts of unsustainable development. Climate change is one product. Deforestation, water bankruptcy desertification um, dust storms air pollution all of these problems have come with unsustainable development so it's 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 a mystery for me why we have singled out climate change as the problem and we are pushing for that so so if you go around the world like you know I've been to places in Africa we're talking to the African kids who who spend hours out of school or you know on and their daily life for collecting water so the for a bucket to get a bucket Full, and then take it for four kilometers and right. walking for kilometers uh, with that heavy bucket of water. Shall I talk to that kid about climate change as the major thing? Right. Is it even fair to do that? And is it fair to expect the people who are suffering from so many other things to think about climate change as their most important thing?
0: A tremendous eye-opener for me, even, even in this moment around COVID was Nicholas Kristof about a month ago in the New York Times wrote about the, the fact that the prescriptions for how we're supposed to deal with COVID are are sort of top down from the western world as well in in the, or, or from the the developed world I suppose the idea that you have to wash your hands for 20 seconds constantly throughout the day he pointed out that there's billions of people billions of people in the world who don't actually have the facilities to wash their hands in their own homes so the prescription can't even work for those people, even if they were to want to be diligent about it, right? And remember, like, this is not the mistake that would say, like, some ignorant
3: people who have not traveled the world would make. You know, back then, the U.N. Secretary General even made a video of washing hands and he got blamed for the same thing and that that person you expect him to know this right who to know that there are billions of people who don't have access to cat water and proper sanitation and they don't even have shelters like you know you say stay home stay home like okay I stay at home like which home how many what? You know, this small right. place that we are in this slum do you mean like we don't have so many many uh, rooms to be to separate ourselves from each other and, and then the other thing is okay we claim again being ideal and, and sitting on, in our homes in, in North America and not having sympathy for the rest of the world and, and ble- thinking that we are blessed that COVID-19 is here uh, the other thing we say is it, th- 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 this virus doesn't discriminate between the poor and and the rich that's a joke environmental problems also discriminate between the poor and the rich Uh, why because right now it's proven to us it's proven to us that the amount of money you have has a good correlation a strong correlation with with your resilience if your pocket is full you can stay home longer and this is again it goes against all of the things we have been talking about. That With the current system that we have, in most places, you don't have the government of Canada to, to give the people $2,000 a month and, and ask them to stay home and, and be safe. In many other places, COVID-19 means hunger. It means poorer, you know, worse health conditions. It means worse um, economic conditions. Now we will have this, another wave of COVID-19 impacts, which would target the food sector, the food trades around the world. So we will see famine. We will see problems of that kind. And these are not the things that we are worried about. Even in the early days of the COVID-19 outbreak, there were environmental activists who wrote articles blaming the media for overshadowing climate change Um, debates and climate change fight by talking too much about COVID-19. COVID-19 is just a virus and it's killing some people, but those people are from somewhere else. I don't want to turn this into, you know, a, a south, north, or west, east
0: I was going to say, in, info at rookmedia.com person, if you disagree with COVID, <laughs> because I can imagine there's people listening who, who may be the climate change activists who, who, who might might get their noses out of joint with what you're saying and say, well, no, no, that is the most important issue. What are you going on about? Yeah.
3: Right? The thing is, you know, so if they have to go and check my records, I have fought for these things. But when I was in the room, I, you know, I tried to remind, for example, people, the world leaders that, listen, guys, we get too busy negotiating the targets and setting ambitious targets and goals that we forget that we, meet, we need means to get to those points right. right so i'm the advocate of the rights and 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 thoughts and concerns of the developing world in the west this doesn't mean that we have lack of you know know how technology lots of other things and 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 leaders who 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 have you know different priorities right so for example iran we we built a missile we we said uh, we we want to take over this even the space but we do, don't build a uh, water treatment plant right. or, for for right. for part of the population or we don't install air filters on on our cars and and then we affect people so that you know we're not here to justify that sort of action or inaction but we to he, to remind people that things are easy on paper if you want to to have an impact you have to understand the barriers you have to understand how societies think and what their Priorities are, okay. and then think from their, sh- you know, put yourself in their shoes and try to come up with a solution.
0: Okay, one more question on um related to COVID, COVID. And I know I know I can't keep you forever, but I, I want to, There's a lot I want to get to, so let me let me let me just ask you one more around COVID though, and Iran because you obviously get asked about Iran, and in a recent interview with Science Magazine, you described Iran's response to the pandemic, to COVID nineteen, as, and I'm quoting you, a high stakes battle between science. And conspiracy theories and I read that and I thought my first reaction was hell yeah Iran always like that that sounds right then I thought I realized this could also be a way to describe the American response in other words isn't that a global description today I mean wouldn't you agree that conspiracy theories around the source of the virus are just as viral if you will in the West
3: absolutely and I think that must be an eye-opener a lot of things are, are similar Yes, some in some places some of the conspiracy theories are are driven by ideology or religious beliefs and so on and that's not different for you know so you have Muslim communities doing that, you have Jewish communities doing the same, you have Christian communities. So it's not even about the type of religion. So ideology and religious beliefs can have an impact, but also how educated and informed your societies are. So a lot of arguments that you hear in, for example, Washington and Tehran are the same. So let me give you an example. So one of my, my accusations when the heartliners want to call me a spy or, is that they're blaming me for paying too much attention to the Paris Agreement and, and saying that I wanted to ratify the Paris Agreement uh, to limit Iran's development, to make you know, global commitments, right. international commitments, so they cannot continue developing at the pace that they are developing right now. Who else blamed the Paris Agreement using the same... Hmm, right explanation or reasoning Washington DC Donald Trump also said that this hawks is is there to limit development to create additional costs for the u.s. and so on and so. so so the argument was exactly the same thing so on one side you had a person blonde and with a with suit and tie and on the other side you have people with you know with hairy faces and and, and wearing some other things one speaking Persian the other speaking English but the, the way of thinking was the same so the same thing about COVID-19 COVID-19 all the conspiracy theories about COVID-19 uh, now, if, if COVID-19 had not gone out of Iran, we were still blaming the Iranian government for what they have done. I'm not defending what they have done. They, have, they must have done this, um, and, you know, must have managed it in a much better way. They still have to release data and be transparent parent about it, that we are dealing with people's life. What they have done is horrible. But remember that in early March, there were like articles blaming Iran for making the, the outbreak global, right. uh, of course, for saying how terrible they are. How many of the authors who wrote article, those articles have apologized for their misjudgment? Or have they said that, oh, we were ignorant. At that point, we we thought it would be Iran. But I now, don't think look any it, like, they, they, they don't people, apologize for yeah, that, so,
0: no. But and there were also articles saying that millions and millions and millions of people in Iran have died, and and Iran's not being honest about that. And I'm assuming that we can now tell that that's not totally true. And You've written about this, the death counts in Iran, et cetera. But at the same time, I, I am I wrong to trust the Canadian stat, stats on death counts more than I do the Iranian stats?
3: No, I think, I think we, we have good reasons for developing these biases, and, um, you know, these biases are formed based on, you know, it's, it's based on your level of trust, based on what your governments have done in the past. So, so history matters, how you have behaved in the past matters. You cannot, like, you know, uh, change behavior overnight, and, and you won't see people trusting you overnight. So automatically we always like look at the data that the iranians release with some level of suspicion and many times this is a good thing because it it helps us ask questions and so on but sometimes we get you know, too much, I think, out of our way to come up with a story to say something is false or wrong or, or they, they did it intentionally. Or so, so my problem with that is once you, you say everything is, is wrong or they're lying the whole time, then the way you fight or the way you lead active groups would be different. So the numbers, do we know that the numbers are, are wrong? I think most, most of us agree that the numbers are wrong. Do we know how wrong they are? I don't think we do. So that is the problem. Now, if you don't know how wrong they are, would that justify you coming out and saying that Iran, for example, the number of people who died in Iran by March 10 was 8 million people? I don't think that's a fair game. Because even if you you know that there's a lack of data, you have to put science as a base of judgment. You have to be honest about what you're doing and your calculations and so on. So, you, you have people on both sides who create conspiracy theories. So, conspiracy theories, as you correctly said, is not the problem of Iran. It's, it's not the problem of the Iran, the Islamic Republic. Even Iran's enemies have, have come up with their conspiracy right. theories. It is a problem and in when Iran, you have but not, not all solely. Sides coming up right. with conspiracy theories, the truth is lost. People lose hope. And and, and then um, the the argument and and fights are not are more destructive than constructive.
0: I, I mean, I do want to do an entire um, show episode just based on Iranian Iranians and conspiracy theories. So I'm not. <laughs> i'm not exonerating us from conspiracy theories but it just occurred to me that i'm hearing as much as of that in the american media uh, and certain parts of the american media etc as i as, as might be emerging from iran i have to so let's get into this your your time in the government in iran i mean this was one of the major turning points in your career or maybe your life your your decision to return to iran Uh, and joined the Rouhani administration as the deputy head of Iran's Department of Environment in 2017. Uh, This decision of course set in motion a cycle of events that uh, eventually that led to your early resignation and speedy exit from the country. I, I know you've been asked, Kaveh, a lot about this. Where are you at with the decision you made now? You, you've been called everything from wise to brave to naive to treacherous for taking that step to work with <laughs> a, and in the Iranian government. If you could transport back to 2017, would you have made the same choice?
3: If I had known that they will arrest me off an arrival at the airport and and they will put a this ugly label of this spy on me, for sure not. If I have the same level of information and we go back in time and I ask this question from the vice president of the country, who, who you think you should trust? And you know that's what I did. Like I said, can, are you sure I get approved? I don't want to end up in jail. That was my question, and they approved me. They, their intelligence system, security system, apparently had approved me, and then. You know, they appointed, you know, so then the thinking on my, my side was, will I do it or not? Is this a bribe, actually? Because one conspiracy theory was that, you know, they're bribing me. They want me to sh- shut up because I'm talking too much, because I'm criticizing the system, and I've written so much about, you know, misgovernance and, and bad management and, and so on. And then you know we know that the, how the system is, we know that the chance of success is low, we know that it's it's very hard to do things, like all the negative things that I'm telling you right now <laughs> in, in this interview right. but but then there's a little chance of making positive impact. And for that, I have to make the sacrifice of moving, you know, living in Tehran instead of London, you know, working in in that system, and and then make compromises. Uh, Some of those compromises were impossible to make for me, and I I stood on on those lines for myself, so I didn't accept whatever they wanted me to do, and that's why I'm here, not in, in Tehran. But there were things that I could, You know give up on and and i did and eventually i decided that you know this is the first time that the islamic republic is making such an uh, offer so it's an unprecedented thing for the people of my generation and let's give it a try two years has passed and what we know right now in my generation is that no it's working with the iranians if you don't belong to the inner circle if you get the same offer that I as I got um, is impossible so that piece of information didn't exist we, we say all knew that we, we, we say it's impossible but now we have we know it's even worse
0: we assume that but why do you you obviously you've thought about this why do you think the hardliners in Iran ultimately why did they view you as such a threat
3: several reasons, and I still have a you know, hard time understanding wh- what they're thinking of me. I'm still trying to, to figure out what's in their mind, and, you know, believe me, it's, it's, a, it's, it's really hard to do that. And I, I kept telling my interrogators that I'm tired of thinking on your behalf and, and putting myself in your shoes and be the game theorist and, and think, you know, think through the, the decisions and, and come up with something good. But I think us in the West are, are a threat. To those who are running the show the system based on all these things that we say conspiracy theories because if, if they tell me that you can you know to to cure your COVID-19 instead of using this drug you have to use I don't know camo urine then I would react right because I'm a scientist I can't take it I, I immediately mm-hmm. react to that thing if they tell me that then that, that was the case they are clouds are being stolen by the Israelis, and that's why we don't get rain. i react. I don't I'd keep my mouth shut. i I'd react. And the people, you know, a lot of us would do that. So first thing is that you're uh, thinking based on your knowledge and not the ideology of the, the the system, so you don't comply with that. The other thing is, for 40 years, we have said down with the USA, down with the UK, and, and you know, lots of things like that, and now we have... An American educated person coming home you know American educated right. uh, British faculty coming home from Imperial College by the way the, the term Imperial right. also right. created a lot of problems on its own for me and you know coming home and people are celebrating it so th- there was a huge positive reaction to this appointment and then this goes against all the things that we have promoted for for a long time so, so a person shaved doesn't look like us, doesn't talk like us, and he's here and he's working, and, and what if we have more people like him coming back? The, the system, you know, a lot of these people in the system can't even tolerate Javad Zarif. Who is to them is a Westerner. So compare me and my thoughts with him, and, and see. But then, what why, is, would what they, a big why would they? Why would they
0: invite you at all? I mean, this is when there's the the pockets of people who attack you in the diaspora who say you were naive or, or they're angry that you did this. So, it, so it's it's obvious this would be a PR stunt uh, that they you know to bring Kavim Adani to Iran. And uh, well, I mean, were, was there anything earnest that you saw in the invitation in the first place?
3: I think a big mistake we make when we interpret Iran's behavior or Tehran behavior is that we think the Islamic Republic is a consolidated unit, so every action is coordinated mm-hmm. and every decision is, is based on years of planning and thought. So the, the fact that uh, you know my story got viral and got promoted, uh, was this a planned thing or once the system saw a big big positive reaction to my appointment, thought, this is a good thing, why not? They promote it. I, I think it was the latter. And there are people within the system who want to make changes, who want to push the envelope. So, so that doesn't mean that the whole system is ready for that. You, you always see, like, a, a thought, you know, someone making a s- statement which surprises you, and someone who has worked for the system. So there are people in the system who, who try to push the envelope. And, and there are people, actually, who fought for my case. There were pe- a lot of people the same administration who didn't like me so it wasn't only only a fight between me and the IRGC or the government and the IRGC you know and it was a fight even between me and some people in the same administration who thought it's ridiculous to appoint someone who you know we cannot trace back and and see where he comes from Mm -hmm. how do we know he has not been trained he's not a spy and so on so I think this was the case, and I, I saw that you know there are like a few people who are inviting me and thinking this is a positive thing. Now, remember that there were other roles that were proposed, and I didn't say yes to those. You know, I took the one which would minimize my level of conflict with, with some uh, other parts of the system, because if I had ended up in Ministry of Energy or Ministry of Agriculture, I would have been on a continuous fight with those people. I try to sit in education and outreach and those things thinking that, that, you know, doing something positive, increasing the level of information, isn't a political thing. So the argument that a lot of people are making is that if you work for that system, you're prolonging the life of that system. So if you think that way, all the doctors who are working for that system are, are doing so. All 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 the teachers, right. all the like whoever is is doing something positive for the country is prolonging the life of this system. Right now, all the nurses and the healthcare workers who are helping the COVID nineteen patients in Iran are prolonging the life of this system. Uh, so I don't think it's we can easily say that uh, you know people should not should be given up on roles and everyone must stop working for this system if we want to see a change I think that environment must be put like what you you know said if climate change is a universal thing Iran's environment is a national thing and regardless of the political system regardless of who is in, in charge we need to preserve the resources and if whoever like you know forty years from now ten years from now two years one year few months from now, there's a new administration, there's even a new regime. You want the Iranians to have access to resources, to have water and, and land and, and so on. We should put a lot of these things about politics. And honestly, I mean, this is something that I probably would surprise a lot of people if I say it, but I think in the seven months that I worked for that system, I was much more impactful. For Iran's environment, that today that I'm working from miles away, and and my level of activity is limited to my social media. Well, posts I was going to say, is here, it here, was
0: there. I was going to ask, is there a, a scenario? I mean, obviously there are those that believe that um, you, you you know you can't play footsie with this regime. What were you thinking? But is there a scenario by which things have could have gone different for you, if. If you had more support? I mean, it's interesting. Not long after you you left in 2018, you did an interview where you said, you know, I blame some of my friends, prominent scientists, for staying quiet on issues related to Iran's environment. When there's one entity building a wrong narrative and selling it to the people, it's really hard to counter that if no one's speaking up. Do you wish that more people had been speaking up for you from within?
3: I mean, it's it's not about me. And I think, for example, in the case of the environmentalists, in jail they have been in jail for so long and some of their accusations were just funny nonsense technically and a lot of apolitical scientists engineers could have come in front of camera and argue and and say that these claims don't make sense when we are sure about a lie that is is being promoted we have to react this the problem i've seen you know I, i share this with you i remember like some days i was coming home really tired, and I had a telegram group with, with a bunch of friends in the U.S., U.S. and Canada, all university professors, water professors. And I was sharing some of the social media posts about different, you know, water-related topics in Iran. And, and you know, the responses I was getting from my friends, my bodies were like, Smilies and funny faces, and you know, cracking up and, and make you know having fun with these stories. But those stories, I was sharing those stories to get their sympathy, not their smiley reaction. Why? Because I was telling them that these things that you think are funny, and it's obvious that they're wrong are now becoming part of the narrative here and who should who should debunk that who should fight with that Mm. if you university professors are silent so the children of revolution all the people of my generation who have left iran i think they are not really contributing to today's iran and future you know maybe future of Iran, but to to today's iran now you cannot expect everyone to do that we talked about rationality early in this this interview so you cannot say that everyone must do something for Iran but we can do things which doesn't take too much effort and they're not political so a few months ago one of my um, classmates from UC Davis who's a professor now had got a fund to do a study on Lake Rumia he's American and he, he approached me and he wanted to run a workshop some you know something like this and I said listen you, you don't know how many, you can't imagine how many workshops we have had on, on Lake Rumia. Instead of doing another thing, just go and create a collection of all the works we have done on Lake Rumia around the world. And he was surprised. In, in a few days, he got back to me and said he had collected more than 300 papers which have been written in the past few years on Lake Rumia. Uncoordinated. We don't work together. We all are doing things in our our silos. Right. And then when it comes to Lake Rumia problems, for example, uh, Iran might come up with the story of yes, the drought caused this or climate change. And then we write things in our papers, but we never get in front of camera to tell the Iranians that this is a big lie. We 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 don't tweet about it. We don't do this. So my thing is not to blame them for my failure. I think that if more people like me do things and and travel to Iran and 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 you know, do more work, more outreach work we can push the envelope, we can change the condition. Uh, that's, that's what we have to do. We have to change the boundaries. And there are people in, in, in the system who didn't like the idea of me getting appointed, but after a while they worked with me. And by the way, we have to talk about this because this perception that you cannot work with re- this regime should be further studied because what do you want to do with that regime? Do you want to change all the things about the environment and make major environmental reforms? You cannot do it even if there is a regime change because these things even in the you know US would be impossible, in the West would be impossible. But if there are if you're thinking about tiny steps and incremental improvements, I promise that incremental improvements within the system, depending on where you're sitting, is possible. There are things that we, we did. There are okay. you know, there are people who I appointed, there are women who I appointed, there are women who I, I promoted, there are things that I did and those things would have been impossible. Uh, without going there, but did I change the world? Did I change Iran? No, you know my impact was small and and very you know tiny so so but if we have a lot of us doing things, caring about Iran, and doing more on iran and, and try to create and draw an apolitical, scientific, technical picture of Iran, we will have a better understanding of Iran's society, we will have a better understanding of Iran's technical problems and, and, and problems okay. in different areas, and we can provide solutions which are practical.
0: Let me ask you a couple of um, brief personal questions about that experience, and then we'll end off just talking about identity a little bit and how you, how you self-identify. First of all, still sticking with this experience of 2017, 2018 and and being in the government in Iran and then um, uh, your speedy exit, as I called it earlier, you've said in some ways your time in Tehran was the best sabbatical, let me quote you, Uh, my time in Tehran was the best sabbatical one academic could wish for. This was a, a wonderful learning experience. On the other hand, I realized that I'm lucky I'm not in prison or dead. So, Kevin, let's take the first half of that. What what did you most learn from this experience on a personal level?
3: So they called me a spy, and I was a spy. I was a spy for the Iranian people, Iranian Iranians living abroad, on the government. I was one of those who got, you know, very close to, the, you know, went inside the system and, and saw how things are being run. I, I saw that there are a lot of good people who work at different levels and and regardless of the system you know who's running the system they want to have a positive impact they care about Iran I saw a lot of people who didn't like actually um, the ideology of the system but are were sitting in those positions and they're putting a lot of effort into doing positive things so it surprised me how, how quickly we, got, we could get together and, and build some trust and get things done. And that's a very positive thing. So, so a lot of things that I'm talking about or a lot of things that I talked about and got awards for um, got verified, actually, in, in my experience. So it was the best sabbatical in that sense, but it was a super risky sabbatical because I w- could have been in jail right now or you know you know, who knows what what else could have happened to me and and I would have been just a hashtag on social media
0: and how scared were you in the end by the time you left when the walls came crumbling down in terms of the support I mean, you had within the government how
3: it, it, it was from day one I mean I, I arrived in Taiwan and I got arrested. it wasn't like you know being scared is something. So, so at the time that I, I signed off on, on this and I said I would go to Iran, I, I had a fear of going through these issues. But uh, there were like moments that I, I thought that we won't win against these people because, because they're so powerful or ignorant. You know? Because they're ignorant, they're powerful. And, and they carry guns and, and they have power and, and they come after you. So, and they don't listen right? A lot of my interrogation sessions were education sessions, where you, you know that you're facing someone who doesn't understand how the world is run, and they don't know what things are happening in this part of the world, and, and they, they're they accusing you, but you know some of them are listening to you, and, and what which, which you tell them would educate them. But some of them come with this lens of just, like, they're pessimistic, and whatever you say, they, they don't believe you, because they think you're a spy. So as a spy, you have been trained to lie, you have been trained to distract And so on. And I was fighting that. I was I was trying to educate. I was trying to say, okay, you know, let me tell you this. When they arrested me up on arrival, they took control of all my emails, everything, right? Now the IRGC has thirteen years of my records, every detail of my life. This is, you know, privacy violation. I was hurt. I didn't like this and so on. But I said, I haven't done anything. Anything against national security? Anything about against uh, my nation? So I'm not afraid of anything. They can go through this. And my my thing, you know, now thinking of being naive is that you go through my emails and you go through my life and you realize that I'm not connected. I'm not a spy. Whereas they're still trying to find something with, you know, in my emails and say you talk to this guy who is. From Israel or grew up in Israel, and and then you're a spy. So you're dealing with ignorant people. This is my problem. This is what I found in Iran that the level of ignorance is high. Yes, Iran is very educated. We have written, you know got, given degrees to people. We have we are publishing a lot of papers you know in peer-reviewed journals. or university students are doing great, and they're coming to the best universities in North America. But the level of information is low. Uh, it's not only Iran, you know, U.S. is the same thing. That's why you get Donald Trump and UK, you get Brexit. So we have these trends everywhere, but, but in Iran, the cost of this is huge. So lots of opportunities are being um, killed by a system which which doesn't know that it doesn't know, by people who don't know that they don't know. This is the problem, and they need education. They need awareness, and I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but we also need fighters. Who would spend time on public education, raising awareness, writing things which are about today's Iran, contemporary Iran, explaining the problem, uh, how's the state of economy, how's the state of environment, how's the state of agriculture, um, provide solutions, don't, don't put a negative lens on it and, you know, put a, Try to come, up with, to, to come up with the stories that you like. Look at the okay. data and what you can extract and, and use the language of science. I'm not saying we shouldn't have political forces and fighters. I'm not saying we shouldn't have people on, on both sides. It's good. All of those can be constructed, but I think there's also a need for the children of revolution who understand that system and have been in the West. So the identity issue that we probably can speak about related to that. So these people can raise awareness can make a connection between the two words and and can help with understanding the real iran and help the iranian public understand the real world it's easy to sit down and blame and blame and blame but if we only blame if we only blame then the public would lose hope the people who would lose hope would do worse and if if you're talking about the environment maintaining the the level of hope uh, and, and, and keeping your society positive besides, you know, getting them scared of the bad, bad future is the key to, to making, to promote changes.
0: Okay, so all of what you've just said, almost all of what you just said leads perfectly to segue into asking you about identity. Um, as we finish. I'm, I'm very grateful for the amount of time you're, you're giving us. You, hey you've done a lot of interviews about having to leave Iran after you went there with the hopes of wanting to create change around environmental policy. You know, for the purposes of this interview, I did want to go deeper into how you self-identify and why, why you would leave a seemingly safe and prosperous academic life in the West to enter that political mix in Iran. You, you know, you're an Iranian kid who who left in your early 20s, you studied in Sweden, you then did a PhD postdoc in California, you've worked as an academic in Europe, then at Yale, you have spent almost half your life in the West. This may seem like a strange question, but what leads you to feel as Iranian as you do? Of course, as someone
3: who grew up in Iran, I have some biases toward my country and I, I might, care more about some of the problems that we have in Iran and I, I I think I I know the language and I I can explain things to people. So on on a given day if I can make a tweet about the problem in in Kenya and in Iran or the US and Iran I might choose to talk about Iran. But you know if you're asking me if, if I feel Iranian or or American or or British I I think I'm I'm Iranian and I Maybe I, I lived too short in different places to... to uh, I moved from Tehran to Tabriz, Tabriz to Lund, Sweden, and then a short period of time, Waterloo, Canada, then California, then Florida, and then London. So I, I was just moving a lot, and that might be an indication of, kind of confusion, not, not <laughs> being happy with what I'm achieving and wanting more or wanting to be closer to Iran. But you know i grew up there i understand the problem there and i i think there are things that i can do which which are Bene- beneficial to Iran beneficial to the developing world and that part of the world needs more more help and there are tons of other people who can do the the things I I do or say the things I I say I write the papers I write in this part of the world uh, on on issues in in this part of the world but when it comes to stuff on the, that part of the world I think there's there's So there's a big gap and uh, people like me can help. So I I thought I would enjoy doing things for my country and I I tried it and I'm paying a huge cost for it. Every day I wake up and there there are smear campaigns, attacks, still i 'm getting attack on my social media. Any post i uh, put on social media there is something underneath uh, from people in, inside the country who think I'm a spy, from people on this side of the planet who think I was a traitor and i shouldn 't have gone to Iran to help that system and I had plans to you know make money and and, and uh, live post to power so i 'm paying that that cost but i I think I I'm still enjoying doing things for Iran. Uh, that might be just an emotional thing. I'm I'm enjoying doing things for the environment
0: it, the, Isn't that an interesting paradox what you just said? because you with uh, you, th- With you, you you went back to Iran and took that high-profile prof- prof- government job and you were considered too Western by some you've said it in this interview but you know they just saw you as some western guy coming in trying to move in on the action and and thus untrustworthy if not a spy and yet Mm -hmm. you've had circumstances here in the west where you are the middle eastern guy on a panel or even seen as an agent of the regime in iran so how do you process that paradox that is your your life
3: yeah i i don't i don't know if i have the solution for that and i still know how i na- i have to navigate through but i know myself and i know why i made that decision to go to iran and i know why i decided to to exit what the circumstances were and and what drove my my decision and what i accomplished in iran what i learned in iran so uh, the only thing is that I trust myself, and I continue fight for what I think is right. I might be wrong. I might be totally wrong. That's what we learn in science that we can be. Our judgments can be uh, totally wrong. But that that's something I have to live with. Um, yes, when it comes to um, when I talk about some of the problems in Iran, for example, people think that I'm justifying the bad actions of the government. Uh, if I'm saying that, yeah, you know, the decision to do do this was right, I'm defending the dictator or, or I'm defending a certain group within the system. That mentality is there. I still get stopped at borders. I'm being questioned. For the seven months I spent in Iran, even though at that <laughs> carrying an Iranian passport, I get stopped at every border. Even though in Iran, in every interrogation, I had to I had to prove to them that I am not a dual national. I don't have a second passport. So it's it's a paradox. It's a it's a big cost that I'm paying. But I think anyone who gets into speaking science and speaking about facts and trying to come up with the right narrative would get that. Because, well, that's interesting because.
0: That's interesting to right. me. But what's interesting right. about this is, you're an environmental scientist. You're an environmentalist. I, I, I probably have some outdated notion of like environmentalism as benign somehow. But it, it doesn't. It hasn't always seemed like something that would be dangerous. But uh, given what happened to some of your colleagues in Iran in 2018, uh, it has been. And as someone who's fought on the front lines of the environment in different continents. Do you think being an environmentalist in this day and age is inevitably a political struggle?
3: I think environment has the power to unite. For a long, long time, environment was a safe space. Maybe even the, the government, the system, let people uh, talk about environmental problems, like Urumia, air pollution, this and that, so, so they don't talk about other matters. But now we are at a stage that environment can unite forces. Um, whether you are in opposition, whether you are a reformist or a, a, a hardliner, you know, left, right in Iran, you care about Lake Lumia. You care about air pollution. You care about this. If, whether you're Shia, Sunni, where you come from, you care about these things. And, and so environment has, has, a, has a strong... Potential for uniting people against systems. And once you're out and, and um, asking for for your right to have access to clean drinking water, the the recent incident that we have seen in Iran the last few days that everyone is now talking about in Khuzestan, then you know no one can stop you. People have a hard time saying that you did the right thing for, for you know coming out and asking for your water right. So so then we we get to a stage that the environmental space can get abused. By people on both sides. So a system which doesn't trust people always questions you, why, these, why do these people spend so much time, hours, actually, in the field trying to save cheetahs? Why, why are cheetahs so important? We are seeing people dying. Who cares about cheetahs? 50 cheetahs. We don't want them. So, so you can't explain why you mm. do it, because there is no income, there is no money, there is no return. For a system who have God you know, used to doing things for money, doing things for profit, understanding why environmentalists are doing these things is is nonsense so the environmental space is getting abused and this is not about iran this is not about this is again another mistake that we make and we think it's it's only iran which has got paranoid about the environment i give you another example i had a an egyptian diplomat as a phd student in at imperial college we were working on the Nile. two years into his phd the egyptian intelligence realized i'm not a uk national they thought that I was an Iranian British, and and once they realized I was Iranian, because they invited me to go to Egypt, and I said I can't come, I can't get a visa. They realized I was Iranian. They got paranoid. They didn't because they didn't want an Iranian to have access to Nile data. Now again, like what we, you know, we make fun of the Iranian intelligence uh, thinking that. They they don't know what's happening. They think we will like you know we don't have access to the data right. that they're talking about because the satellites are everywhere. We can't collect the data from the satellites, uh, but they don't have the intelligence units. Don't have the the right I, I think training and education. So so they got paranoid, and we had to take action on that. And and we I even had to you know let this student go to my colleague because. You know, they, they couldn't stand my name on his dissertation, and they were so paranoid that the student was under pressure. So that's Egypt. Um, in Israel, we have the same thing. In Iraq, we have the same thing. And, and so a lot of countries, we, we are seeing that increasingly this the environmental space is becoming problematic. The number of people who have got killed around the world, the number of environmental fighters, has been huge, especially in, in the developing world. So this is space is increasingly getting securitized and politicized, unfortunately. When when Netanyahu or Donald Trump or Pompeo talks about Elon's water problems, the normal reaction of the system is to say that okay, now from now on, whoever talks about environmental problems in Iran is is in alliance with right. with Donald Trump and Netanyahu. So you're a spy. So sometimes it's you know people who get caught in in, in the middle of this politics. And I think the you know the the innocent people uh, who are in jail, the environmental group is, is is no exception. We you know one Iranian Canadian died. You know now we still it's a mystery mystery for like you know what happened they just come and tell us he committed suicide that's it and and then eight more people you know so one of them now released but eight other people have been in jail and 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 you know, who knows they can go get back to field and help and, and, and so on. And these are the people who, who thought they can. the environment is apolitical. Doing something for cheetahs would not hurt the, their system. It would be good for, 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 the, for the nation, for, for everyone, for wh- whoever is in, in power. But it didn't work that way. So that is, that is really, really frustrating. Now, the way to fight that, that we have two options. Either shut our mouth up and, and say, okay, they, they don't let us do anything, this system doesn't let us do anything, or or to ch- talk about the truth and, and speak the truth and, and fight back okay. and, and and challenge their, their, their stories and their narratives, their false narratives. And I think a lot of people, a lot of us can do that without even even getting into politics
0: if we care about the that, future. Or that or may be another perfect segue. A final question to you, Kaveh, listening to you and listening to what you've done in the last few years. What motivates you to be so prolific in your work these days? I mean, you're not just focused (laughs) on water supply and climate and food, but the environmental movement on death counts in Iran, on game theory, on writing countless articles, being involved in debates. Why be involved in so much of the public discourse? I know I probably sound like your mother at this point, but but why put yourself (laughs) out there so much you know, you talked about the attacks in social media. Why put yourself out there so much after after all you've been through? What's driving you now?
3: I, I understand and, and feel that the, the things I do are also rewarding and, and have some impact because on a daily basis, besides the attacks that I get, I also get a lot of likes or a lot of messages of people who, who appreciate what I'm doing. I, I get notes from teachers who, who, who thank me and, and say that the videos I, I put online were like shown in, in, in their classes and the students like them they ask me for solutions, they ask me for material to share with the student I still have a lot of colleagues of mine who contact me, ask me questions like you know on what to do and you know they check with me if their idea is, is good or not You know when it comes to education, when it comes to solving one problem um, somewhere. So, so I think that what I enjoy d- doing is, is is helping with problem solving that's the nature of of a person who who's in academia and i I picked the area I've picked is complex systems complex human nature systems so and and it was originally water but then I got into energy i got to the environment food and now i'm doing even health related work and i with the experience of being in doing policy related work I try to combine these things and, and talk about problems and, and help with with public education um with with raising awareness not that i i know better um but but i think you know even even i try to bring people to the table started a recently you know the contemporary iran forum show at yale and and asking people who don't automatically go in front of camera or or avoid going to um the opposition media channel to, to come in front of camera and explain things, just share the things that they know and they think uh, should be common knowledge because a lot of people don't know those things. And so that's that's uh, the thing I continue to do. And even if I didn't want to do those things, I think now more than before I feel obligated to those things because if I stop doing things for Iran, I might confirm the story that I was a spy and I I did all these things for for a reason and for, for get it, you know, for for what they were telling me, for infiltration and going there and and changing um, everything. But I I want even the same people to understand the realities and complexities of water management, why we have to reform our our water management system, why there are things to be done, and there are so many things that can be done, and why getting people act and make them hopeful would be good for the environment despite all the problems we have so i think that's the motive and i i i am hoping that i'm helping you on by doing these things
0: it's invigorating interesting educational talking to you thank you so much for taking the time today Kabe.
3: thanks for the opportunity bye bye
0: bye that's Kabe madani writer professor senior fellow at the department of political science at yale university Interesting guy, Kaveh Madani. I presume we're going to get some response to that interview. He said a lot. There's a lot to say there. I I am back here. Uh, well, I haven't. I've been here, but Keon is back here in the studio. Hi, Keon.
2: Hi, Gian.
0: Reza and Shia, uh, Captain uh, Reza, Groovy uh, uh, Shia. Uh, we have some uh, some letters to get through before we're joined by G's the band. The duo, that is. The sisters from different parts of the world joining us. Um, So, Keon, you know this... I'm very glad you're here to do letters with us. This... um, The letter of the week thing, however... uh, We've been crowning this letter of the week thing. I mean, the show is only six weeks old. So, it's it's in its infancy. So, but we... um, (laughs) We crown the letter of the week thing, but there, like I feel like there should be a prize. First of all, we we want people to write in, right? Info at rookmedia dot com or at rook media on our social media platforms. But even when they get the letter of the week, they they don't they don't they don't get anything. It's like uh, it's kind of meaningless, right? I
2: mean, I could personally deliver hormasabzi homemade hormasabzi to them. Do you think that would be sufficient?
0: Uh, I think that would be fantastic, but yeah, also impractical. All because. I have is
2: time these days. I mean, I'm stuck at home. So, <laughs> if so, you really want them to write in,
0: so we have. Uh, I was thinking about like, actually, just a, really. I thought, what if we made Rook mugs, right? That we straight. could hand make. We could buy. We get like cheap. Uh, you know Cheap.
2: I don't. Oh, you, you, <laughs> okay. wait, wait, you want uh, people to write in. Dude, you can't reveal what you're gonna like. That, uh, I
1: don't know.
2: I'll <laughs> think about it. I mean, gorma sabzi was my best idea. Yours I, was the most
0: First of all, first <laughs> of all, do you know how to make gorma sabzi? Of
2: course I do. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many hours I spent learning how to make gorma sabzi? This whole quarantine.
0: Do you make it like, like annually? Is Asil it, I don't know what that means
2: Right mean? See
0: I The other reason why Keon is here and, is, and she's our favorite My favorite member of our team Is because Her Farsi oh, is Decidedly worse than mine <laughs> yeah. I'm
2: so glad to hear that I mean, or, But that's debatable Or pretty much
0: non-existent I don't know Farsi I half is like- any
2: <laughs> oh <my
0: God. laughs> <The worst laughs> that's not. I know all okay, the swear but words. No, so don't say that. I'm, You've already. This is all right. We okay. Should, we well,
2: should do this whole. We should do this whole thing in Farsi. I'll just.
0: Yeah, really I'm test ready. It I, well, but it's I don't Eng- think
2: you are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll come up with something. Uh, for the winners of the letter of the week, okay. but we do want people to, to write it, info at rock, rockmedia.com or, um, so why don't we do the letters? We, we gotta get to Abjiz, so. Let's go, get to go, it. So,
2: go. okay, so last week, uh, episode 11, we had Hamid Salimion on. He's the chef extraordinaire from Vancouver who has won all these gold medals in the culinary Olympics. Um, fascinating stuff. That was terrible.
0: No, it was good. It, it was good? Yeah. Okay.
2: This bad, but we're anyways. still on, by yeah, the way. <laughs> Should I start again? <laughs> no,
0: that's no, you fine. Can't start again, Gian. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Just keep going.
2: Damn it. Okay, so we had lots of letters uh, and as well as posts about Hamid and all things food-related. Of course, mm-hmm. I mean that is what he does. Yes, chef. Uh, so we had Negin Dusti on YouTube. She said, "Thank you for this interview, Gian. What a pleasure to learn about Chef Hal." I was about to say Halim (laughs) 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 Chef Hamid Salimion Yes Uh, I felt both very proud and overjoyed as an Iranian to hear about Hamid's love of uh, food and culinary accomplishments I'm fortunate to call both Vancouver and Toronto home and cannot wait to drive to Granville Granville uh, Island to visit his restaurant and enjoy one of his dishes soon with a thumbs up
0: Very nice Somebody who appreciates uh, Hamid Salimion. He's got that um, restaurant that they're hoping to keep open, that they're just doing takeout for now uh, on Granville Island. So if you are in the Vancouver area, in Canada, by all means.
2: For sure. Uh, we have Beth Beige, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. From YouTube, she posted, Food is the great unifier between all cultures. And now I'm hungry, happy face. Isn't <laughs> right. that the truth? <laughs> that is the truth. If there's one but, thing that brings cultures together, it's food. Right.
0: By the way, I don't think Beth Basha is from YouTube. She she posted you know on what, YouTube.
2: You I'm walking out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. you, everybody Already? knows what I mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. But she. I just want to make sure she's not, an. I, I assume, an employee well, you of YouTube. You never know. Right. She might she be. be. Let's Correct. look her up. <laughs> All right. Keep going. That's fine. Uh,
2: okay, so we have Amir Nikdel. He mentioned... He, he wrote to us. Amir name? Nikdel. Nikdel. Okay. Yeah, interesting name. Half Iranian, half English, I presume. Uh, I love Iranian Which food. Which part is the English part? Nikdel?
0: Nikdel?
4: That's, that's not Iranian. <laughs> Nik is the... Ble- Mike Willowdale Dale, um, and
1: Nick Dale, Parkdale,
0: Nick, Park Dale,
2: Nick
3: Dale, no, Nick,
0: Nick Dale, Nick Dale.
2: Yeah. What does that mean?
0: <laughs> Kian, it's not Nick Dale. It's <laughs> Nick, Nick Dell. <Dale. laughs>
2: Listen, man, I They're was They're going to. I knew Amir this was going to happen.
0: They were going to get <laughs> Nick very Nick Dale. Nick Dale. <laughs> Nick Dale. Um, My apologies
2: oh. to Amir Nick I mm-hmm. mispronounced your name. So anyway, all, all
0: Persian. Yeah.
2: Dearest Amir wrote saying. I love Iranian food. It is the best food ever. One of the best things about Iranian food is when it, comes, when it comes to vegans or vegetarian people. If you look at many dishes like the warmasabzi, all you have to do is take the meat out and add vegetable or just eat it as is. Please don't kill me, lol. I know you love your warmasabzi. <laughs> don't we all, Amir, don't we all? Thank you for Maybe that, you would have gotten some if, it, if that was the prize. <laughs> You know, well,
0: that's not the letter of the day, is it?
2: Well, it very well could have been. You know, <laughs> I, I would pick it based on that alone.
0: Oh, well, don't you pick it? Is it? You, you exactly. pick the letter? Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. So first of all, is that, uh, is that okay to take out the, the meat and just then it's just vegetarian? I mean, is gorma sabzi gorma sabzi if it doesn't have meat in it? I know that's controversial I like
2: controversial. my meat it's you're asking the wrong person Reza As Captain vegetarian. Reza like, that depends on a lot uh, that depends on the person because some people like wouldn't even eat the food if it's been in the vicinity of meat some people are pretty right. extreme right so for those people they can't just take the meat out right and I feel like yeah Kian is kind of right like without the meat Gourmet Sabzi is like I don't know. It doesn't. It's, it wouldn't it's taste missing something. It, yeah. I mean, it's still warm. It's sabzi. It's sabzi. It's, it's, it's yeah, exactly. sabzi. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> well, fried sabzi.
0: It's gourmet sabzi. <laughs> it's um, gourmet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that, Amir nickdale um Let's uh, move on. What else you got?
2: So next we have saeed Nouri on Instagram. He wrote, "I love you, bro." Comma. Now we have a great talk show. Heart, heart, heart. <laughs> That's great. One too many hearts, Saeed, but... Thank you, bro.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, bro. For I appreciate that. Very nice.
2: All right. So on episode 12, we posted that earlier uh, this week. We had an interview with Bahman Farmanara. I'm a huge fan, by the way. Uh, the iconic Iranian filmmaker. This was a remarkable interview, given his candor and how brave he is. While in Tehran, taking this chance to speak about his work uh, in the...
0: Talking Minnesota. as he was talking very openly about uh, the the current government there, the regime, uh, and which was a brave thing to do while he's in Absolutely. Tehran.
2: Okay. Oh, so, oh, I was. Do you have any letters? <laughs> no, what? that'll be all. Keon, uh, uh, I, uh, you,
0: you, you this do is realize that. great, by the way. It's
2: not a disaster
1: whatsoever.
2: I'm enjoying
0: you're, You <laughs> are a, a valued team member. However, your job was just to come <laughs> to read letters. <laughs> You've already forgotten what it was. <laughs>
2: I'll lock myself out. <laughs> Go
0: ahead. All right, all right.
2: So we have Daver Shahidi. I hope I pronounced that right, right? I did uh, on Facebook he wrote thank you thank you Jean again for a wonderful interview this time with Dahman Farmanara and again thank you for providing the tribune to the gems of the Iranian art culture and thinking
0: very nice very nice
2: so as well we have Cyrus Khalot <laughs> Khalot Paris Khalot Paris Khalot, Khalot, Khalot. Like, Farsi is improving so much Nick Dell <laughs> from, from YouTube
0: right, right, he doesn't right. work there it's all, no. the same all of the YouTube employees have been writing it yeah.
2: he wrote great interview you get to learn a lot from interviews like this a great personality and character who never gives up a true Iranian patriot given his background great ending fusion music I think I am finding myself addicted to Rook.
1: Mm.
2: yeah can't wait to see what's coming up next Exclamation! Great work. Keep it up, Gian and team. With a lot of emojis. That's great. Yeah, it's nice. I like that. And even Superman wrote in. I don't know where. I just have uh, the name of Superman. I don't know if he's from YouTube, Instagram. But he wrote, I absolutely love Rook. Well done, Gian. By any chance, have you considered adding video to your podcast? Mm-hmm. Like you sitting there in the studio and giving guests can record a video from his, her conversation with you. That, I believe, will boost your audience numbers. In the current form, to be fairly honest with you, it gets a bit boring after 15 to 20 minutes. (laughs) Ouch. Also, a Farsi subtitle, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, What else does he say? Anyways, all in all, I think you and your team are doing a great job. I cannot imagine where this is going to end, but if this is the status (laughs) quo, it is a big treasure for the Iranian was it diaspora or diaspora? Diaspora. diaspora. Mm-hmm. Learning so much today. Damn it, gam. He
0: thanks. said, "Damn it, gam." Not you. you are not right. saying. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Th-
2: th- th- thanks for that clarification. Superman. <laughs> thank <laughs> yeah. you. So,
0: so damn it, gam. But the but the show gets boring after fifteen minutes. <laughs> That's, uh, well, that's a bit of a bipolar uh, criticism. It, by the way, is Superman from YouTube? Or it, doesn't say, Leon, <laughs> it doesn't say, Gian. It doesn't say. No, I, th- I think that was a... Uh, I don't know where we got that post. You're the uh, letters person. Email. I think some of them th- are... There's an email. Email to us. The so, ones that are of uh, first of all, we have considered video, obviously. Um, but we thought... For now, it's it's an audio experience, uh, and uh, it, as well as Reza and Panta's amazing graphics that uh, are, are there when we're during the, the YouTube experience. If you want to see them, um, but it it felt like there's so many of those Zoom chat things now that people are doing. So why not keep this as audio theater of the mind, as they would say, for now. Sounds
2: good. But thank me. you,
0: Superman, <laughs> and uh damn to you to you as well.
2: So, so we have the letter of the week, dun, dun, dun. Okay. it's from a Jill Hendry, wow, a non-Iranian person. So she wrote, I just began tuning into Rook last week and spech- spent much of my time catching up on all of your episodes. I really love it. I have a few friends that are Iranian and the culture in general really interests me. Thank you for doing this. It's great to hear you back on the airwaves doing the thing that you do best. Congratulations to the Rook team. You're all doing an amazing job. Wow, that was beautiful. That's really
0: nice. Jill Hendry, you have the letter of the week. Uh, We will figure out something that you will eventually get for that.
2: I guess it's not what Sabzi, well, but we you cou- know, sorry to disappoint. Right?
0: You, did you did it occur to you that some of these people are not writing from a one kilometer radius of where I you live? I did not think of that, <laughs> and, but I'm and sure if I they're can in creative. London or Berlin or Los Angeles or Frozen Vancouver, <laughs> Gorma
2: Sabzi is still pretty good.
0: So you're going to deliver frozen Glamour. Now that during I think the about pandemic. it,
2: I might not that might not be the best idea. <laughs> it was a, let's it go was, with the mug. But it had heart. It, it had heart. It Keon, <laughs>
0: thank you. Thank you, Captain Reza. Thank you, Groovy Shia. This is Rook, I'm Gian Meshi. While some are inclined to dismiss or ridicule artists when they speak about subjects other than art, Others hold that artists often serve as society's conscience. In times of social and political strife, an artist's role becomes particularly important. Given the social and political currents swirling in Iran in the the past four decades, some musicians in the Iranian diaspora have seriously considered how they can best wield and leverage their potential as artists to bring to light not only social injustices, but other issues and concerns of the society. This is especially noteworthy because musicians who reside in Iran can Generally, be voiceless due to the extreme limits on freedom of expression and political repression. So, with all of that said, take a listen to this. Some of you in the diaspora may recognize that song. A little taste of the song Gedie Amad, The Man's Cry, that was just one of the provocative songs on the debut album of my guests today that came out in 2007. They are sisters and the founders of the multilingual Persian-Swedish fusion world alt-pop music band Objis. Their lyrics often carry humorous and subversive social, political, and cultural messages and they've not only been described as the first female-led Persian-speaking reggae ska band of its kind, but pioneers in singing about taboo subjects in Persian language, Iranian culture, and even American foreign policy and the war on terror. Their debut music video was nominated in the short film category at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City in 2007. It was also selected as the best music video of the year at Link TV's World Music Channel the same year. Since then, Abjiz have been described as one of the most successful Iranian music groups of the 2000s, performing at sold-out concerts across Europe and North America, and they are still embarking on creative new journeys, and today... Right now, Abjis are with Rook. Melody Safavi joins me from New York City. Hi, Melody.
4: Hi, Vianjad.
0: Great to have you on the program. And (laughs) Safura Safavi, your sister, joins us from Stockholm, Sweden today. Hi, Safura. Yes,
5: I do. Hi, how are you? I'm
0: I'm fantastic. I'm so happy to get to talk to both of you on in different. We're in three different places, and we'll try and navigate um, this conversation. Uh, um, so, thank you both for doing this. By the way, have you said hello to each other yet?
4: Hi. Obji. Actually, we did.
0: <laughs> okay. I don't know how often you're <laughs> FaceTiming. So. <laughs>
4: I mean, I I uh, talked to Safura right before the show, but I can. Say hi again. That's okay,
0: you. all right. I'm just making sure the sibling <laughs> unity is uh, off to a good start in this interview. Uh, Melody, John. For, for, first and foremost, uh, you you are actually the first guest we've had on from New York City, and and it has been. Mm-hmm achingly hard to watch what's happened there in the last couple of months, especially for me as someone who's living there recently. What have things been like for you and what are your impressions from what became the epicenter of, of COVID-19 around the world, in New York City?
4: Um, as you so well mentioned or put it, um, it it's been a very tough time for, uh, for us in New York. Uh, for me personally it's been a very eye opening uh, experience, I should say. Uh, Corona has forced me to really sit down with myself and, uh, you know, go through um, my so called dark sides or dark shadows (laughs) of my soul. So it's been very, um, very nice. I mean, I, I feel more spiritual than ever
0: when you talk about eye opening um mm-hmm. what's an example of something that you've you've learned about I guess yourself in this time?
4: Um, well, as I told you i um I feel like we all have uh, many many unresolved personal issues which we uh tend to run away from or escape from. <laughs> With the daily activities. And when you take away those activities and you can't do them, you just have to sit with yourself. Right.
0: If there wasn't the devastating side of of people dying and and uh, and hospitals overwhelmed, et cetera, uh, it would be an amazing social mm-hmm. experiment. You know, like everybody contain yeah. yourselves for a couple of months and and see what you learn. Have you been in touch with yeah. other artists in New York, like in in Brooklyn or in New York, where you are? What what, what have people been saying? Are they yeah. are people well, I depressed? I have many
4: artists friends here. Most of them are really suffering because uh, especially those who the main source of income was, is music and art. Yes. Um, some of them don't even know how they're going to manage, you know, how they're going to pay their rent. So it's been very tough. But at the same time, this has brought us together in a different way. People are being more compassionate towards each other. We, uh, I know of... Uh, Communities that have started um, gathering money to support their friends—you know—we somehow we all uh, have to go through the same experi experience, regardless of our background and our financial situation. And so, this has um, both, in my opinion, it has enlightened us, and it has—it is aligning us also, in a way. Mm with each
0: other enlightening and aligning um let me bring in your sister safura this is a whole other thing you're in stockholm and and many people may know sweden stands out in its approach to covid 19 Where, where where you are primary schools have remained open restaurants too though i know tables are set further apart from each other nightclubs can operate as long as the manager ensures that people keep an arm's length from one another What's it been like living in a country that the rest of us, the the rest of the world is looking at either with pity or envy because uh, you've been taking a different approach there?
5: Well, um, I think that for me being like um, partly Swedish, I mean, my mentality is quite Swedish. I was only five years old when I moved to Sweden. Um, So for me, it is kind of natural in somehow like the the way Sweden is dealing with this situation. It's a very Swedish way of dealing with the situation, I think. Uh, mm. But I, of course, I am aware of the critique that comes from outside through friends or, or media. I noticed that uh, a lot of people have strong opinions about how Sweden is dealing with the situation. Uh, when you, when you um,
0: say very Swedish, um, what yeah. are you talking about? Are you talking about the, uh, the, the, the notion of trusting citizens to handle this themselves somehow, uh, to be socially yes, responsible? exactly. Yeah.
5: yeah, because a lot of people are criticizing this, because, and I understand that, because it's a cultural thing, and if, you don't, if you're not from this culture, you can't really uh, grasp that, I think. This culture basically uh, teaches us, from being children, uh, of being our own police, right do you know what i mean it's not like uh, i mean people there are not much people on the street uh, if you compare with how it is usually of course and it's more like the attitude of the state i think how they um that they have more trust in the citizen and this is because we are because of the welfare state i mean we are we are brought up like this because if if the Welfare state is going to work as a system. This is a part of it, you know, the trust and uh, uh, and working together and seeing each other as a collective, which right. is such a big part of Swedish community and mentality. Uh, to see, to talk about us, not about me only. And uh, so I think this is very integrated in us, mm. in our mentality. In general, we of course we're generalizing
0: this is really helpful. I mean, this is that's not something mm. that I've heard because all we see is sort of a yeah. very analy- analytical analysis of what Sweden is doing and how many deaths it might create, et cetera. So to actually hear this from um, a cultural point of view from someone who lives there and loves there uh, is really helpful. That said, you two are in <laughs> completely different places. Uh, and so let me, let, let me get this straight because I mean, anybody who's not... Intimately familiar with the story of G's Might be surprised by this Your sisters, your family, you write and play And perform music together But you literally live seven time zones remo- Removed from each other So what's the architecture yeah. of navigating This sibling relationship Both family and work, Melody? It's uh,
4: called Telepathy <laughs> 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 We work through telepathy no, just kidding. Uh, well, it's hard. It's been always hard, but um, if it wasn't because of uh, the Internet, I don't think we would be able to work. So, uh, actually, on the contrary, we try to keep away from each other <laughs> as much as we can <laughs> in order to be able to survive. do Rio o Have you heard about sure. it?
0: Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Uh, I mean, jokes aside, it would be much easier for us to work if we were in the same country. And as a matter of fact, most of the songs that we love ourselves that we've done has been made uh, at times when we were together. Mm. When we are together, it's a completely different uh, type of communication and collaboration because it happens in the in an instant. Yes. Uh, While when we uh, work in distance, I have to, you know, write something sent to her, she needs to read it, Uh, she might not get it at the time that, you know, like we are in different zones, physically and mentally, so um, it is, uh, it's hard, but at the same time, this is our life path. I mean, I'm here, there's a reason that I'm here. Right now, and there's a the reason that Safra is in Stockholm. We have to also live
0: our own life. None of these, neither of these two places, New York or or Stockholm, are Iran. Um, and mm-hmm. and and, but you both seem like you are very Iranian. I mean, you both grew up in Iran, but then you've been yeah. transplanted all over the world, and quite nomadically so. It's it's amazing reading about you: Iran, India, Spain, the United States, the UK, Sweden. In all that time, mm-hmm. I mean, based on I've only known you really through your lyrics, your political stances, your football preferences, you, you seem to mm-hmm. always identify as very much so as Iranian. Why is that, why has that allure remained so strong for you, Sephora, when you say you left there at five years old and went to Sweden? Yes,
5: I think it's because uh, we have had always a very strong bond family wise um i mean as a family we are very um, connected <laughs> with our parents and my our brother sufi and um so we have And also language i think is a very a big uh, plays a big part in this because mm-hmm. since we came to sweden my parents uh, always spoke farsi with us at home for example um a lot of parents um mm, start ta- speaking the language of the new country to help their children, but they didn't they they continued speaking Farsi and uh, so the language and also the uh, age difference because uh, Both uh, my siblings melody and Sufi are quite much older than me So they were like teenagers uh, when I was uh, five years old so they they already carried the Persian culture in them like um So it was, we always kept this uh, Persian identity, I guess. Even though I today, uh, I know that my, I usually say my mentality is Swedish because I know the way I think is very Swedish. I would, I don't feel like 100% Swedish, of course. Mm. I feel, I feel I have this uh, Persian connection.
0: Melody, it's one one of the interesting things with this this show and talking to, to people in the Iranian diaspora, that this is something that unites us, that no matter whether you left, two years ago, or whether you've never grown up there like me, there's this umbilical mm-hmm. cord with Iran that we can't seem to, to cut, you know, that we or or yeah. not can't seem to, we don't want to cut. Uh, what, why? Mm-hmm. How would you answer that question about why the allure is, is so strong for you as someone who's lived in New York for years or around the world?
4: Well, I, for, I can just talk uh, for myself and uh, for me, it's been a um, it has to do with the history and the background, <clears throat> and my background, like I- the Iranian history and uh, everything that uh, we as a society have gone through uh, has impacted my life. It's a part of me. Right. It's a part of my mentality, and it will always be like, uh, there is, uh, there are so many beautiful things with our culture, which unfortunately are not being... Reflected these days, uh, but that are very, very crucial, uh, such as, um, for instance, our um, uh, hospita- uh, hospita- uh, hospitality. Hospitality? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Persian hospitality is something extremely unique. I haven't seen it anywhere else, to be honest, and I've traveled quite a while. Uh, this is something that is, you know, ingrained in us, um, and uh, also like uh, we have survived so many, so many, so many hardships, and we are still doing, and we are right now going through so much hardship in our country. But we still have that connection, that love, uh, which is, you know, these are all. <laughs> effects
0: of the coronavirus and my uh, <laughs> right, right. isolation your eye opening yes <laughs> but, can can, can yeah. i can i ask you this before i want to get to the the political lyrics more more specifically but just as a question mm-hmm. while we're on this question of identity um do you do you have you guys ever had pushback from people in iran or or other iranians who would say uh, Enough, you know, with your political stances or your lyrics, etc. You guys haven't even lived here for a long time. You're, you're not even here, you know. Have you ever heard that kind of criticism, no. Sephora?
5: Oh, yes, of course. Um, of course, we've heard that. But we also, I would say, uh, we don't have that many political lyrics, actually. They are most social critical. Mm. And this has been a deliberate choice. Because uh, we, we feel that what we have wanted to address are questions that we ponder upon ourselves, as sisters. And uh, a lot of what we have in our Persian society is, uh, are like social um, issues that we need to, to deal with. And right. uh, it, as any culture have these uh, social issues, of course. But uh, so we have um, deliberately mostly talked about social issues. Yeah. Uh, but uh, of course, we have, had, um, we have had critique about that. But even the social yeah.
0: issues, when you when you write a, a, a fun song about Khostigari, I'm sure somebody says, how dare you, right?
5: No, less, actually, to be honest with you, much less. Mm. I, because the social critic lyrics are also, Melody uh, writes the lyrics, they're very like cleverly expressed i think (laughs) because in this sense we are very swedish in our way of expressing ourselves because we understand that the situation is complex we're talking about and we we try to be nuanced how do you say that Uh, yeah have it like yeah yeah, in the in our approach because uh uh, of course the situation is complex but uh, so i think the listener has the opportunity to to choose what it wants from it from the situation and make their own decision um, so oh. let's let's critique when it comes to this social crit- critical uh, we have had a lot of critique on the way of singing for example this is interesting when we started back in 2005 uh, with this song that you gave an example of getting yeah. uh, man's cry uh, I remember I had a lot of critique, like people was, "Is this a girl? Is this a boy? Why does she sing like this? Um, it sounds very strange. The farsi is strange. And this is um, a, a kind of critique we got a lot from the beginning, but uh, by time, people got used to it, I think, and nowadays uh, people are singing Farsi in many different ways and expressing themselves uh, through musically, through the voice in in more different ways than before
0: you both seem very strong you know watching in your videos listening to your songs listening to their so so, so, Sephora when you got that kind of criticism in the beginning did it hurt
5: Um, to be honest with you of course I'm very sensitive person but uh, this is this kind of critique hasn't really uh, hurt me because it's a bit like um, when you know when you have a great passion about something when there's a fire inside the critique um, doesn't hurt uh, mm-hmm. because you have such a strong direction like uh, sense of direction so you just either take it as a it makes you even stronger or if it's or you take it as a constructive critique like oh then i have to do it better next time i think it hurts when it touches your ego like when when you feel that like, like you're unsure about something then mm. then i think it hurts
0: i'm glad you led there to to going back to 2005 because i want to i want to ask you guys about the the formation of the band and that first album that uh Hamed, that hit the world with kind of a storm this female-led persian band doing the ska reggae in sweden uh and taking strong social stances um melody when did you know that Objeez was going to be more than a hobby with your sister.
4: Um, I think um, I still don't know if it is more than a hobby. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, uh, for us, this, this was a way of communicating between, amongst ourselves, but also to um, express ourselves as sisters. Uh, it's been almost like a game, and uh, if we knew that it would become what it became, I'm not sure if I would even dare to step into this uh, platform.
0: Why, is, because, why uh, is that?
4: For instance, I'm not a musician, but I, I don't know how I dared to stand on a stage for for the first time and sing. Hmm. Since even you know, Safra is a real musician. She's trained. She's um, Experience, but for me it was like a very new thing. But uh, it's exactly as Safra says. There was a force within us that pushed us, and um, I still think that uh, personally, I'm growing. I'm learning and growing and experience experimenting, and uh, yeah, I, um, this is an
5: ongoing journey.
0: Safura is is Melody a real musician? Uh,
5: define real. <laughs> oh, come on. Define <laughs> musician. I was I was expecting you
0: to step in and <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. There's not no Nejat going on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I find I, I think you're a musician, and I find this very interesting. And this is something. Um, so I, I wonder if that's like a cultural trait, you know, or this this uh, extreme modesty, especially when we get when we get to, you know our artistic inclinations beaten out of us at a yeah. young age. Well, I think in right.
4: my in my in my case, uh, I, I do consider myself an artist. Ah, I'm just okay. saying that I'm not a, a classically trained musician. Right. I don't play any instruments and uh but I mean at the same time I'm releasing my own album soon. Right. so like um uh, I don't wanna like take away from the um the positive aspects <laughs> <laughs> of right. myself as an artist. But right. uh I'm just saying that um uh we are usually, like, we tend to be raised with a certain mentality that we have to have gone through certain uh, trainings and yes. learning experiences in order to be able to call ourselves uh, an artist or a musician. So on the subject
0: of that, of that 2007 debut record, uh, let me play a little bit of a song from that. This is G's and a song called Democracy.
5: That's Mammy, with the
0: song Democracy. I'm speaking with Safour Safavi in Stockholm and Melody Safavi in uh, in New York City. Um, uh, Safour, that that song, Democracy. I mean, that's a, that's a good example to me of a strong lyrical song that doesn't really pull punches. Um, we've talked about social versus political lyrics, but uh, this was all new. You guys are putting out this debut record, and you're coming coming at people with a lot of things. Sib- siblings doing ska and reggae, doing and putting out a song like that. Um, what were the implications for you uh, from the feedback you were getting, say, from Iran?
5: Yeah, there there is a lot to talk about around this song. I will I will tell you a little bit uh, musically, and I, I will ask you to ask Melody about the lyrics. Sure. Because she can explain that better and had more uh, direct consequences of this song in her life. Uh, Music-wise, I can just say that this first album, Hameh, uh, it was like a love letter that we wanted to send to iran uh we felt like we had had the, all this, um, fantastic possibilities growing up in sweden like expressing ourselves freely uh, learning about music and uh, so and and this was a time when there were still very little alternative persian music like almost nothing and um so we tried to like experiment to play around with these songs, uh, and purposely this first album we, we did different genres of music. Uh, the reason was because um, we felt like uh, the, our friends and and the, the people in Iran they didn't have the opportunity to get access to different kind of kinds of music, because uh, even internet wasn't that broad then, at that time and. Uh, So this was our um, way to show like, hey, this is, you can also try out these things, you can sing reggae in Farsi, you can do ska in Farsi. So the reason we have this uh, different genres, it's because it was our way of sharing what we had received. Uh, Then lyric wise, we had some lyrics that we had written many years before. And some lyrics uh, were written in the moment when we recorded this album. Uh, democracy was um, one of the lyrics that was very um, it was written uh, just before like the release of this album mm. uh, and had very much connection to that time and it's our first political uh, statement somehow uh, and we chose the genre reggae because uh, uh, melody wrote lyrics and i composed for the lyrics and i felt like reggae is the correct uh, music style to use when expressing this I want to uh, come, because of the associations
0: I want to come back to that with the, the reggae but yeah. first let's let's go to melody and the lyrics so so Melody mm-hmm. tell me about that and then um, th- I did hear the story that you had been you've been working I mean I knew you were working in the media at that time at Voice of America VOA and that democracy this song had some implications for your job there I, I, what yeah. happened?
4: Well, uh, the song was written actually uh, during the, or right after the second term of uh, uh, George W. Bush in office, and it was during the Iraq uh, war. Yes. And this was, uh, of course, for me, um, as a musician, as an artist and a human being, it was a very, very difficult time. And this was my way of expressing Uh, myself and my view about the situation. Um, I tried to show uh, both in the lyrics and in the video, we tried to show uh, that how both sides are suffering uh, from the war. But uh, unfortunately I was uh, considered anti-American at the time and I was uh, terminated from my job. Um yeah.
0: So so wait a minute. VOA mm-hmm. con- their their contention was that you were being anti-American by writing a song that's basically uh, uh an anti-war song.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just, it's very it's a long story and a little bit complicated. Uh-huh. I can't explain in a few words, but uh at the time somebody took this uh, video and the song to um a Senator, a Republican senator, ah. and the the senator took it to the Senate, and then there were it was a discussion about it, and then it went up to the State Department, and it, it was a, it became like a huge thing, and uh, yeah, they considered me anti-American.
0: And there's probably some people who would consider you anti-Iranian, so you're kind of getting a double Absolutely. double whammy. Absolutely. You're getting it mean, from all sides. I, I, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean this is really interesting only because you know to 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 a lot of people I think in the Iranian diaspora listening to that story if they didn't know about it already would kind of go yeah well I guess I could see that happening but I mean you know Leonard Cohen released a song called Democracy and and it, the lyrics are very pointed and no one ever you know fired him from a job for it right uh this is something mm-hmm. that is reserved for um certain kind of uh, people uh, from uh, maybe a certain kind of background, Uh, um, it's Mm -hmm. interesting. You, let me ask you about another song that then, just a few years after that, the green movement happens Uh in Iran. Yeah. and uh, mass protests break out after the disputed presidential election in, in 2009. And you guys released this song called Bia, and this was among the, the very first original songs in support of the Green Movement there. It came out just after the, the second mass demonstration in Iran. It was posted on YouTube the same day the government brutally cracked down on demonstrators, killed many, including the infamous killing of Neda, which was captured on the cell phone video and widely seen around the world. Let me play a bit of Bia for, for the audience.
4: Of
0: Bia from Abjiz. Uh, Melody, what can you tell me about writing that song? Um, uh,
4: I'm very impressed by your knowledge about this situation. I almost forgot about the, the time that I wrote this. And it's exactly as you say we wrote it immediately after the outbreak of the second demonstrations and before Neda was killed. Neda Agha Sultan. May she rest in peace. Uh, if, if I had, uh, if we had waited one more day, I'm sure the lyrics would sound much different. At the time we were asking people to, you know, to get, uh, unite. Uh, we were asking them to turn towards love and light. Uh, but, um, then things changed and, um, we wrote other um, songs also after this, which uh, they sound differently.
0: <laughs> so, the musical style, Sephora, is is very interesting yes. because uh, you aren't playing punk rock or angry angry rock. Uh, you know that sometimes Rage Against the Machine that it, that sometimes <laughs> accompanies you know angry lyrics or or pointed sort of social statements. You, you've got these chill reggae mm-hmm. sounds, and and of course. Mm-hmm. Bob Marley used that kind of genre to send strong social messages, but it still feels like an interesting collision of these mm-hmm. statements with this chill reggae melody. Tell, tell me about the roots of your interest in that genre and why, as you said just a few moments ago, you think this is the most appropriate kind of music.
5: Yeah, I think uh, reggae music is a very special genre in the sense that um, it is very... Uh, friendly i mean i hardly have met anyone that doesn't like reggae music <laughs> if you put a reggae music on almost everybody will like become relaxed and be happy <laughs> until and their shoulders go down you know it's it has the extreme quality of um, like taking the guard down uh because of its backbeat, because of its history, because of it, how it has, I mean, there's a lot of uh, the culture around it. Of course, there's a lot of reasons for that, analyzing it. But um, and also because of Bob Marley, and uh, which is the incredible, great inspiration for a lot of us, especially for me, I think that um, I chose this style because I felt like this is the right way of expressing that these lyrics are for real this is what we're meaning it comes from the heart and it's supposed to go to the heart it's not it's not like um it's not a range uh, like we want to just be angry and express a feeling it's a it's a communication Hmm. we want to communicate this this these lyrics and then i feel like reggae music is the best transport transportation for that
0: have you guys ever had a, a conversation where you talk about, I mean, it's clear that you're not in this for megastardom or big material gains or, or something like that. But with that said, you're singing mostly in Farsi. I know you've done some recent stuff that's also in English, but you sing mostly in Farsi, meaning your audience is mostly going to be the Iranian diaspora or people in Iran. This genre is definitely on the alternative uh, outskirts of, of Iranian music. Um, and, yeah. and God bless you for doing it, uh, to, to, to be doing something. It's pioneering. But have you ever had these conversation, uh, conversation with each other where you just went, listen, if we just start doing some 70s style Persian yeah. pop, you oh know we can score one of those hits <laughs> retire to la you know uh, i mean i'm being serious to a certain extent you know mm-hmm. you, you have a lot of conversations as a musician with your bandmates right and about the directions of yeah. your your records so has that conversation ever happened melody um yeah
4: of course we've talked about it but uh in, at the end of the day it's as tafra says uh we are. We, we never started this band to become rich and famous. This is the music is a tool for us to to express something that we believe in, and uh, if it um, brings us uh, financial gain, we would love it. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be against it, but. It's not my, it's not our uh, focus, my, our uh, main focus, so, um, But I think Safra might also have a few words about it.
0: Safra?
5: Yes, I think that uh, one reason we didn't, of course, we had these discussions many times. We were uh, several people when we had a fixed band for many years. We were several uh, people with very strong, strong-minded people. I think that it was definitely one reason was my stubbornness because <laughs> i would never allow that uh, i mean it was we talked about it many times and i tried really also to like artistically approach that coming closer to the like the the more maybe towards the traditional music persian music but it the, didn't come natural for me and and i am a musician an artist and uh, my artistic um my artistic calling is is the what's leading me forward. If I don't have it, if I don't have that passion or fire or calling, then I I don't do it. Um, so I think one reason has been my stubbornness for, for us not to succeed financially. <laughs> and I have to take that on my shoulder. Did,
0: did you ever have uh, outsiders, like, a, I don't know, a producer or some big... Uh, um, financer or somebody say is coming and Sadie like from the community say listen I just need you to cover some gugush and we' we're, we're in business did, did that have, that, has that ever happened to you guys
5: uh, People have always been I'm very thankful for this they've always been very respectful when approaching us. they have never told us to do something but they have suggested us many times. Uh, but uh, of course, it it hasn't clicked or matched. It hasn't it hasn't been right for us the suggestions that has come to us. I should. Uh, and you know, one more factor sure. I would like to say is that since we are independent artists, since we are we always um, finance everything ourselves. I mean, even of course we had uh, some generous sponsorships. Sometimes doing videos and and uh, other uh, gigs and concerts. Which we are extremely grateful for. Uh, we we have put like all our time and, and um, resources to do this. Uh, because of that, we we haven't had uh, much more energy like after producing an album or a video or something to think like to think more about the structure of it. Like think about it in a commercial way or plan or um, this is the back, the downside of it that when we do everything ourselves, we have 100% artistic freedom, but we don't have more energy than our 100%. You know, we don't have more after that. So this has been a complex thing. I don't know if I get uh, through with my, what I'm trying to say.
4: No, you've been
0: very clear. I want to know if, if Melody yeah. agrees. 100%.
4: <laughs> <A hundred percent. laughs>
0: okay.
4: yeah, yeah, and also like, we're not business, um, business people, we're artists. And uh, Mm, I really wish we had, I mean, we still can have sponsors, (laughs) people that would, uh, you know, like to support us so that we can focus 100% on the artistic aspect of this work. But um, it's as Safra says, it's so tiring, it's it's so draining, especially if you're not uh, a business-minded person and you want to, you know, try to... um, make that part of it also function, it's very difficult.
0: You know, lest anyone get the idea because of the questions I'm asking that all you guys do is uh, traffic in in uh, uh, social and political uh, lyrics, etc. You you do have a whole other component in terms of uh, your lyrics and your music and some of it being quite celebratory. And you're definitely football fans of Team Mali, the Iranian football team. So in 2014, you released what kind of became this official song dedicated to the team at the World Cup. Let, let's play a bit of that.
5: Yeah. میدونست یه روزی میشی تا پهل و میشی مایه یه فخر و سربلندی ایرو هر جای دنیا باشی چه در داخل چه بیرون تو هر حال و هوایی فداری تیم ایرو همه باید بتون ننداره همه باید
0: Of oh, geez, with a shameless promotion of the Iranian football team and and the fan, <laughs> the fan base. Uh, tell me about writing a song like that, Sephora
5: Well, we were so excited that Iran was in the World Cup, and we wanted to uh, encourage the team, and we wanted to. We, I mean, what, what, everything we do is because uh, we are. Uh, we want unity among us Iranians and. Uh, people of the world of course it's all about love peace and understanding when it comes to objects and uh, so when you have the the team meli coming to world cup i mean it's perfect situation and opportunity for us to celebrate together Mm. without thinking about politics and other stuff that is separating us so we wanted to celebrate that
0: melody i think one of the last times or the only times i've seen you it was in new york during the um, the last World Cup, the 2018 World Cup, uh, at, a, yeah. at a packed at a bar, packed a packed bar in Tribeca with a with uh, probably a thousand Iran uh, team Mali fans in there. We were watching <laughs> one of the Iran football games. It occurs to me that you know there there are few moments. Uh, we unfortunately there are few moments when you can visualize when you can think of. A massive group. I mean, other than Mahmounis or sort of um, sculpted private events or these kind of, you know, that that, that there are a few moments where there's just this um, this open celebration amongst Iranians. Think about how how seldom we actually see that and so um, the World Cup time is kind of this um this this tap this valve that opens and 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 all of a sudden you see all these other people and we're there and we're a, a goal gets scored and there's this delirium and um it almost feels like a catharsis I mean it's just a football game but it's a really big deal eh
4: it is I wish we had more uh, more um reasons to celebrate uh, and I'm sure we will, eventually find more reasons i mean in the past few years i noticed that we have different fe- music uh, festivals and art uh, you know cultural festivals around the globe with uh, these are all events that we are creating yeah um to celebrate our culture and our history and our uh, community and these are very beautiful but unfortunately we haven't had many of those except for no or Yalda, but these are all, usually, we end up in private gatherings with our family.
0: You know, whether it's that World Cup song, or... Mm-hmm. um you, you had a song called "Crossing Borders" in 2017 about the U.S. travel ban. You had a song last year about the crackdown on protesters in Iran. You guys just wrote recently wrote and and I saw a little video of a Mother's Day song. You're you're very reactive in terms of what's happening out there and um, uh, coming up with a, a poignant ObG's song for it. How do, how does that actually work? Who who calls who and how do you how do you coordinate that okay this is the time when we're gonna put out a song about this thing that's happening right now Sephora
5: yeah uh, well usually it has been uh, melody because that started um, songs because she writes the lyrics first Uh, but the lyrics uh, are many times comes from things that we discuss as sisters and think about and um, maybe uh, live, like experience we live together. Uh, we encounter something very difficult, and then Melody comes and, like, I wrote a lyric about this. And um, so, usually it's like that, but it can also be like we were invited for this event for Mother's Day, and we were thinking about playing one of our old songs, but then suddenly I felt like, hey, I've always wanted to write a song for mom. Maybe this is a good opportunity to do that. And then suddenly I wrote a song and we could perform that one. So it, is, uh, it depends a little bit on the situation. But I would say mostly Melody uh, takes the initiative for the
0: songs. Melody, are the, uh, are the songs prescriptive or do, you, or do they come to you? In other words, do you sit down and say, this horrible situation is happening, I need to write about it, or do you find yourself writing about it and that becomes a song?
4: Yeah, it comes to me uh, most of the time. I mean, the times that I have been uh, asked to write a a song, like if I've been asked to write about a certain topic, it's usually harder. But when I'm just, uh, you know, affected by something, uh, a situation, or, uh, you know, if I hear something that uh, has an impact on me, usually the lyrics come to me naturally.
0: So this year, I know I I can't keep you guys here forever, but I I have to ask you about what you're both involved in separately right now. Because this year uh, simultaneously marks the 15th anniversary of Objis, but it's also the year you've separately decided to explore your individual musical paths. uh, And you're both working on solo projects. So before you tell me about the project, Melody, is it scary going solo without the the safety valve of of your sister uh, alongside?
4: (laughs) No, to be honest, it's not scary at all. It's very—I'm very, very excited about it. And the reason is that I do have the support of uh, my sister, and uh, without her support, I wouldn't even dare to um, explore this world.
0: So you're working—you're so,
4: working, um, you're working yeah. on a, a
0: reggae Afro dance hall album, which sounds amazing. What—what—what yeah. what, what is this album about, or what—what what can we expect?
4: Well. I've been living in New York, uh, as a single woman for the past 10 years. And, uh, the neighborhood I live in is, uh, mainly Afro, uh, Caribbean. So I've been very influenced by the music of this neighborhood and I wanted to, um, give it, make a tribute, um, or thank Brooklyn for what it gave me, um, throughout these years. So that's the inspiration. And uh, i worked together with uh, Avji's first drummer, Robin Kohren, who is an amazing musician. And this is a collaboration between me and Robin. Hopefully the album will be released uh,
3: within the next few weeks.
0: Are you singing it in English?
4: No, it's all in Farsi.
0: It's in Farsi. Reggae Afro Dance Hall and Farsi. I can't wait. (laughs) So then on the other side of the world, in Stockholm, Sephora... First of all, yes. you're my hero because you're you're you, you're in a police cover band, right? Um, one of the things you do yes. is, uh, which I think is I am. amazing. Although I don't know who your drummer is, but Stuart Copeland's not easy to you know to follow. But uh, uh, uh,
5: my, yeah, but t- my drummer is Marcus Bukelon and he's amazing.
0: He has to be. <laughs> and the guitar, yeah, and
5: the guitarist David Dohan. he's also amazing.
0: And so you're the Persian Swedish Sting, right?
5: Yes, I am. <laughs> Sting around.
0: <laughs> so, so, what are you? T- tell us what you're working on and uh, what your solo record is.
5: Yes, I am actually. I'm not uh, recording a solo album. Uh, I am studying right now. I'm taking a master's degree in performing arts. Mm. So I am very much lost in the <laughs> world of philosophy right now, and. Uh, I'm I'm following my passion as I always have and uh, I of course I play still music and I write occasionally I write my songs I mean I write poetry every day and uh, I this police cover band is amazing I love it uh, I do it because I love it and um, but right now my my uh, passion lies in in philosophy right now and Trying to understand and find new ways of expressing myself and uh, using art in creative ways. Uh, this is where I'm at right now. Mm.
0: You know, it's uh, it's an honor to get to talk to you both of you and, and to do it in this way, where you're, uh, where we're sort of in three different parts of the world and and uniting to have this uh, conversation. And I, before we go, I let me return to uh, something that also unites us, which is our backtr- our background, our cultural background you've both been through a lot. you've seen a lot you you've lived in a lot of places around the world. you're both defiantly Iranian as you've discussed um, and you're involved in the diaspora it It's been such a a difficult time for iranians mm-hmm. this 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 year um you know it's like the covid outbreak and and iran becoming the the one of the first epicenters of it uh, was almost the the horrible icing on the horrible cake of of so many horrible things that have happened um Mm -hmm. where where are you guys in terms of your hope for a future or or maybe can you see seeds of hope let me start with you sephora and then then go to melody
5: yeah, you know, jean John. I think uh, when I think of our what you talk about, what connects us and our Persian heritage, I I just get filled with love, extreme extreme sense of love. Uh, I really feel like it's what, we are one body, um, and uh, what we are all doing in our different ways is trying to deal with this trauma. Uh, none of us we didn't want it to be the way it is we didn't want our history to look like this Uh, we have been through trauma and we are going through very tough times but uh, i mean i think if we look at our community there's everybody's doing something everybody's trying to do something to heal for us all to heal and i think that's beautiful and i can't see anything like more beautiful or right than that i just think we should encourage each other uh, in the fields we are. And I mean, I'm so, I'm honored to talk to you. I love this show you're doing. I mean, I know we are all doing so many good things to uh, raise awareness. And so that is my hope. I mean, that we have this feeling of uh, community and uh, that we somehow are connected. I think that's, that's it.
0: That is incredible.
5: Then just, let's continue doing what we're doing, you know.
0: It's incredibly beautifully said. That, that that.
5: Hallelujah. Yeah.
0: Wow. I mean, you said <laughs> what it. What
5: can I say? <laughs> I truly mean it. I truly. I think. I mean, if you feel like that, it's because we This is where we're at, isn't it? I mean, this yeah. is what we're doing, all of us. It's. It's our. This call I'm talking about. This passion. This is it. It's, I mean, I'm. We're probably sitting there doing this program because of your call and passion. And I mean. We are all doing this, and when you you can see this, we can see this in each other. We should encourage that. Mm-hmm.
0: That is, you know, it's a it's not just a, a beautiful thing to say. It's a reminder. Um, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Uh, when when I first started even self identifying as Iranian because I was in the closet uh, ethnic closet through a lot of my yeah. childhood years because it was after the revolution and after the hostage crisis and and I was in North America and there weren't a lot of people around who were Iranians. And the reason why I came out of that closet uh, ethnically was 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 because of love. You're right. Was because of thinking yes. about our families and thinking about um, the so many beautiful elements of this culture that that are that bec- that get drowned in this negative kind of PR <coughs> campaign. You know that exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so um, I really appreciate you saying that. I dearly do. Thank uh, you, um, Melody. Do you want to add anything?
4: Well. <coughs> It's hard to say anything else after this beautiful speech. (laughs) But uh, I think, uh, you know, going through hardship is not a new thing for us Iranians. If we look back at our history, we've been going through so many, we've been attacked so many times, we've been going through wars and so many uh, injustices in different ways but we have always survived and uh, we will continue to survive i think uh one thing that we should focus on as uh, human beings i mean not only iranians is to just uh give each other a chance to to speak to express ourselves listen to each other and um you know just uh remember that uh, we're not going to be here for too long. This uh, journey called life is very short. And um, let's just be kind to each other and learn and grow together.
0: Thank you so much, you guys. Be safe. We look forward to hearing more from both of you. And um, take care of your families and and your friends out there. Thank you. Thank you, Sephora.
1: Thank you.
0: Merci, Melody John. Merci. Good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon.
0: That's Melody Safavi in New York City, her sister Sephora Safavi in Stockholm, Sweden. They are Abjis. They joined us live from around the world today. makes sense to go out on some objeez music from the 2017 record Poshu. this is the song Crossing Borders thank you so much for listening to Rook for supporting Rook info at RookMedia.com is where to find us on YouTube SoundCloud Spotify iTunes thank you so much to the amazing little Rook team Groovy Shia Captain Reza Kion Sara the whole team Mizumbashi bye bye
5: Everything seemed fine The trip was smooth and